following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. Hi, everybody. Oh, wait, let me get up a minute. One second. Yeah, like, uh, I listen to Nicole Sandler. Uh, is the time for the Nicole Sandler show? Yeah, come on, we're late. Oh, I forgot to turn the computer on. Uh, yeah. Let me just walk over here and... I'll boot up my computer. Come on. I don't want, oh, crap. I just, <laughs> never mind. It's okay. I got another one. It's a good I, thing it's Friday. Leave it there. The cat will get it. Got a little tune here. A little song to sing for okay. you. Okay. Get to it. We got news. Mad Nicole. She does something. She's really... All right, thanks so much. Uh, it is the Friday show. That means, all right, enough, 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 enough. Uh, Marcy Wheeler is here. But you know, because Marcy is over in Ireland, and now I'm here in Arizona, we actually tape our Friday segments in the morning. Well, morning here, late afternoon there. Uh, so as you'll hear when I start playing back the uh, the interview we recorded this morning, um, the, the we were waiting on the verdict for Rudy Giuliani. So I had to just come in and um, although you've probably heard the news by now. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani ordered to pay $148,169 million in damages to Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shay Moss. Um, here's how it breaks down. Uh, Shea Moss was awarded $16,998,000 for defamation. Ruby Freeman awarded $16,171,000 for defamation. For emotional distress, each of them were awarded $20 million. I, I think they probably deserved more, but okay. Uh, it, it, I wouldn't thumb my nose at that. Um yeah, for a total of $75 million. And then punitive damages. Giuliani ordered to pay $148,169,000. Uh, $148, so I, I, I have a hard time getting the words out. But um, yeah, uh, and, and of course, I'm not going to play the video, but, but you want to hear what he said when he went outside the courtroom? It, this man is is um hold on I, i'm trying to rewind this okay here we go maybe maybe not hold on i will play it for you in one second because this is video i'm just going to play you in the audio and it doesn't want to work damn you okay hold on I, i'm not giving up i really am not one more all right i refreshed a lot of cases, and I know that my country had a president imposed on it by fraud. Those are what? conspiracy theories, sir. These are not conspiracy theories. These are proven facts. Where's your evidence? I'm not allowed to present it. <laughs> you, see, you, see she just did? you see what she just did? She didn't allow me to present a stitch of evidence. Oh, my God. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's all... Oh, I, wrong, wrong thing. It was that was supposed to be the bullshit button. All right. You know what? I'm not supposed to be on the air now. Bullshit. Right. No, Marcy Wheeler is. So with no further ado, we go to the videotape again. This was recorded this morning. Take it away, Marcy and Nicole. Here we go again. It is Friday. And I'm always thrilled when Friday comes for a number of reasons. But Marcy Wheeler is here. And you warned us last week, Marcy, that this week was going to be crazy. And it has been. Um, we taped this on Friday mornings. So it's uh, it's 10 o'clock here in Arizona. It's, what is it, like 5 in the afternoon there in Ireland? Yeah. So we're taping this before the Rudy verdict comes out, but it should come out later today. Right. So this morning they are in court uh, or the, the jury is deliberating and all they're deliberating on is damages because the judge already found Rudy liable. Now, he did right. a, a, an 11th hour change uh, yesterday. He was expected to take the witness stand and testify in his own defense. And then they decided well, that's not going to happen. And it probably for a good reason, huh? Yeah, I mean, Beryl Howe was inches away from holding him in, him in contempt. So, uh, you know, I think things would not have worked out very well if he 
if he did testify, but he didn't. I thought he might. Um, they have a theory that the Michael Gottlieb, who is the primary attorney for, I mean, he's the kind of lead attorney on that team. And he, a number of years ago, starting with Seth, Seth Rich, was sort of like, I'm going to start defending these people whose lives are taken over by right-wing smear jobs. Um, and this is even more successful than the Seth Rich case because it's a lot easier to prove. And during the trial, Rudy was trying to, to tie Gottlieb with Hunter Biden, which is true uh, back when Gottlieb worked for, I'm forgetting the firm, I'm tired today. I should warn you. He he worked in the same firm as Hunter Biden and actually worked oh, wow. on some, you know, like work. So it is true. This was in 2014, but this is where Rudy is. Like everything is about Hunter Biden to him. And he, you know, he's like, well, if you ever had an association with Hunter Biden, then it, then it proves that I was right about Ruby Freeman or something. Like he's insane. I mean, he's not insane. He's just, he's never been held accountable for the lies he tells like Trump, you know? Right. So, well, you drew, uh, I, th- I don't know if it was today or earlier this week, frankly, the days are all sort of merging together for me, but you drew an interesting um, comparison or contrast between Rudy Giuliani and Hunter Biden. You said, in a sense, they're kind of doppelgangers. Can you explain what you were talking about there? Yeah, and I did it on Twitter, too, because, uh, like, just before we got on. Mm. Um, because I because I want people to be aware, like, they are both men who were cultivated by very sketchy Ukrainians, right? Like, I'm not gonna lie, Hunter Biden, you know, people were trying to get to Joe Biden through him. Right. Um, and, and in the same way that people were trying to compromise Donald Trump through Rudy Giuliani. And they were vulnerable, and uh, Rudy certainly still is, because they're both fighting addiction and they're both broke. And so they, they you know, they, there was a period where Hunter, I think, just needed to get the hell away from Burisma. But at the same time, you know, he because he was an addict, he was blowing up all these bills. And um, and and Rudy is, you know, like when all is said and done, I think we will learn things about Rudy that he did even in the last three years that uh, are really alarming. And honestly, the United States would be better off if if it had intervened with both men, right? So mm-hmm. there was this moment in 2015 where the State Department was sort of like, uh, Joe, your kid has ties to Burisma. This is not a good idea. And and Joe, particularly because of both death, he just didn't want, you know, it's like, don't, don't get involved. Um, same, you know, Rudy, I mean, and, and this is the contrast. This is why they're doppelgangers. Uh, Rudy... You know, everyone knew he was getting on a plane to go meet with Andre Durkacz, mm-hmm. right? Everyone mm-hmm. knew he was getting on a plane to go solicit dirt on Hunter Biden from a Russian agent. And that, you know, like since then, Ukraine has, Ukraine and the United States both declared Durkacz a Russian agent. They did that, like the, the Trump administration did that before the election. And Rudy was just like, ah, no, 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 no harm, no foul. Um, and DOJ knew he was doing that. And, you know, in the reporting on why they didn't intervene, which probably isn't true, but the excuses for why they didn't intervene is like, yeah, he would have still gone anyway, right? Or, and, and ultimately, the truth is that Trump wanted him to go. He had Trump's approval to go. He mm-hmm. had Bill Barr's approval to go. I mean, Bill Barr went through hoops to protect him from being held accountable for that. Anyway, uh, you know, so it would be nice to say what could we have done wrong? I mean, what could we have done better with mm-hmm. both of them? Because they both became a tremendous risk to the president that they were close to. Uh, not like Trump needed any help on that front, no. but like, but, but, you know, I, I wrote years ago, like had Rudy Giuliani been investigated as part of Crossfire Hurricane, like here's a little detail. No one knows who was the last person that Paul Manafort spoke to before he went and traded campaign information with Konstantin Kalimnik. Mm, uh, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, right? And Rudy was soliciting dirt, and Rudy was Rudy just was never um, investigated the same way that the other six or however many Trump people were, and there was plenty of reason to do it. And then by the time you got into the investigation, Rudy was then the attorney, and you know Jack Smith would have gone after Rudy 
But, uh, or even Lisa Monaco. I mean, Lisa Monaco went after Rudy first day on the job, but uh, Mueller did not. And then Rudy became this, this uh, cancer, you know, to the United States. And the, the point I made on Twitter before we got on was, think about how the press treats those two men. Yes. You know, it's like Hunter Biden can like, you know, people didn't listen to his. So this is we'll finally get to some news. Hunter Biden, rather than appearing for a subpoena on Wednesday, gave a press conference. Yes. And the press didn't listen to his press conference. They didn't like he made some allegations that Abby Lowell has made, which are pretty substantial and pretty easy to fact check if you're a journalist. And none of the journalists said, you know, huh, they've got the dirt on, on James Comer. Why don't we look into it? Why don't we start slamming James Comer for fabricating things? Or in this case, Jason Smith, I think, has, has fabricated more than James Comer. Um, none of that. Meanwhile, you know, the, Rudy still has his hand-selected little... Um, stenographers for him and and he is still allowed to make allegations to to make anonymous claims to slam people you know behind these these um stenographers and it's just really toxic it's like you know maybe let's look back at what the press allowed Rudy Giuliani to get away with since you know, everything, really since 2014, everything, you know, since this, 2011, th- since 20, 2000. Yeah. You know, I've been aware of Rudy Giuliani since, um, out of college, I moved back to New York when I was a kid and I got my first big job at WMCA in New York. And I was producing the Bob Grant show and Bob Grant was, you know, was, was Rush Limbaugh before there was Rush Limbaugh. And I used to fight with him. I'm 21 years old and I'd spar with this guy. But it was during that time that Rudy Giuliani came up as a U.S. attorney. And Grant used to talk about him all the time. He used to come in. He was this young guy. I still remember his lisp. And I'm thinking, oh, with that lisp, he's not going to go very far. It shows I was wrong. But, um, you know, I watched him through the years. And my, how the mighty have fallen. This guy who, you know, was mayor of New York City, rightly or wrongly got credit for cleaning up Times Square, whether you liked him or not. And then, um, you know, through 9-11, who was it who famously said, oh, Rudy, down a verb in 9-11. And then we see what he devolved into with the lies and the conspiracy theories and the hair dye dripping down his face and um, Four Seasons landscaping. And it's, it's almost laughable. But what I don't understand is with everything that's gone on, there's not one criminal charge against him, is there? What, there is in Georgia. Oh, in Georgia. Okay. Yeah, um, there is in Georgia. I've written extensively about why he wasn't charged in New York, and it's it's twofold. Like they, SDNY was investigating him, and then I mean, again, this is Bill Barr. The the things Bill Barr did to protect Rudy, but um, Bill Barr put. Richard Donahue, who gets credit for being a hero on, you know, in advance of January 6th, but he wasn't back then. He put Richard Donahue in charge of all Ukraine. He was a gatekeeper for all Ukrainian investigations. Uh, in basically, you know, as soon as Rudy got on that plane to go meet with Andre Durkach, Bill, Bill Barr did this. Wow. So Rudy's getting on a plane to meet with a Russian spy, and Bill Barr says, okay, we're going to make sure SDNY can't continue its investigation that I've already been engaged in a cover-up of. Like, he had DOJ treated the whistleblower complaint that turned into the into the Ukraine impeachment. Had they treated it as they treat all other tips, they would have found the investigation into Lev Parnas, mm. and therefore you would have had an investigation open into, into Donald Trump. There was an open criminal investigation into what he was already doing, and Bill Barr, whoever, DOJ, prevented that from happening, then made sure that SDNY's investigation into Rudy Giuliani couldn't continue to investigate the things he was doing in real time. And then, I I talk about this all the time now, so, you know, I'm sorry, but um, according to Chuck Grassley, Bill Barr shut down an investigation into Burisma's uh, Michal Zlachewski in December 2019 when Rudy was getting dirt from him. And then days later, and I kid you not, this is days later, 
January 3rd, 2020, um, Bill Barr sends Seth Ducharme uh, out to the Pittsburgh U.S. attorney. He's got this like it's this Jenga, right? So uh, Richard Donnie, she was making sure that no one can expand the investigation into Rudy Giuliani. Scott Brady is trying to use the information Rudy Giuliani got from Russian spies and related people uh, to feed an investigation into Hunter Biden. And then when on her first day on the job, and she gets no credit for this, Lisa Monaco approves a warrant to seize Rudy Giuliani's devices. Mm -hmm. When they searched those devices, at least five According to Robert Costello, uh, he, he, he submitted a declaration in the, in the Ruby Freeman case, and a good chunk of those devices were corrupted. Now, in, the, in a normal world, you would assume that Rudy or the Russian spies that he was hanging out with found some way to corrupt the phones before the contents of them were taken. Um, but honestly, in, in Bill Barr's DOJ, you can't be sure that it was Rudy, you know, or his Russian friends, or, right. you know, like, in any case, so that's, this is, uh, I, I'm the only one who's, who's reported that from Costello, but that explains why there wasn't more dirt on the phones and why you couldn't charge him for the uh, fair investigation that was ongoing. I don't know that that's dead, but DOJ has a very difficult time. They have to find a reason to reopen things. Um, and, you know, honestly, we're still dealing with Rudy Giuliani's field trip to go find dirt from Russian spies. I mean, it's still Amazing. a very, very active part of the Hunter Biden investigation. It is how David Weiss uh, sustained, claimed to keep the uh, Hunter Biden investigation open so that he could assign a new prosecutor and start filing felonies against Hunter Biden. Um, and it all goes down to something, you know, that, that Bill Barr and um, Rudy Giuliani had a role in back in 2020. That's where we're at. So, uh, um, and, you know, the whole, the doppelganger conversation, one of, the, one of my points about it was like, you know, Rudy Giuliani destroyed the lives of these women. Yes. I mean, they're so beautiful. They're on the stand. And, um, and Shay Moss is just like, I thought I had gotten a golden ticket because I got a job as an election worker, a full-time oh. job as an election worker. And because of what Rudy Giuliani did to me, they never let me touch a ballot again. Oh. It's that simple. Right. Ruined her life. Ruined right. her life. She's terrified of being lynched, rightfully. And the press went on treating Rudy Giuliani like he was a nice guy. America's right? mayor. Know, Yes. And meanwhile, right. Hunter Biden gives, you know, like it, it was press conference. I mean, he was, you know, like he was trying to say, I'm, you know, making amends. It's like, you know, I think that you probably did fuck up your taxes in 2018. But I also think that there's so much wrong with the case that uh, I don't see how you prosecute it. You know, like I, I don't see how you prosecute it fairly. We'll see going forward. I've already pissed off David Weiss's office, so they won't return my calls anymore. Took one question, and now they won't even respond. What was the question? Uh, why? Why? What? What? What did you oh, say? Well, so last week I did. A, was it last week? I've lost track of time. I did a post um, fact checking them on one point about um, there's an allegation in the tax indictment that says, "Oh, Hunter paid fifteen hundred dollars to a woman in August 2018," and wrote it off as artwork. And right. she's Is that an the Venmo, Venmo receipt that you showed on the, on yeah. empty building? Yeah. Oh, okay. They said it was an August 14th payment. And I was like, no, bud, this is an August 13th <laughs> payment. Here's the Venmo payment. Right. And it's important because days earlier, a week earlier, um, two new devices were added to his Venmo account. Um, and one of them seems, one of them is timed with a, what appears to be a different exotic dancer. So in other words, like the problem with trying to prosecute Hunter Biden for charges that he made when he was, you know, in the depths of addiction is that, uh, and he said this in the same book that David Weiss is relying on to, to substantiate that he was an addict at the time. You know, he said, you know, I, I would have an have a conversation with an addict and oops an ipad walked away and it's like every single one of those ipads if you want to prosecute hunter biden you have to track down every single one of those ipads to make sure that the chart that the that the that the um, expenses you are accusing hunter biden of not treating properly 
are ones he actually made. Like, you know, you don't know like that. I mean, it appears that that woman wrote artwork on the Venmo thing. Okay. It appears, you know, like I assume that prosecutors at least can show that it was from Hunter Biden's phone and not any of the two other ones that were added in that week. But I don't know that. Right. If I'm if I'm Hunter Biden's lawyer, I you know, I'm going to demand that they show the IP addresses for every single expense and prove that that device was in Hunter Biden's hand and prove that Hunter Biden was cognizant when he made those expenses, because for a vast majority in that period, you know, like you can tell. He, he, he has no control over his devices and it would be a cinch. Like, I, I suspect that somebody packed up his life in 20, in, uh, in uh, January, February 2019. There's a bunch of signs of it. Um, and I suspect that that packing up of life dates back to somebody walking away with his iPad in August or in September or a variety of those. I mean, Lev Parnas says it goes back to 2014. But um, anyway, so I fact checked them. I'm like, dude, you got the wrong date. And oh, by the way, if you're talking personal assistance, why don't you have the guy who's got ties to Keith Abloh, the <laughs> Fox Keith pundit Abloh, who charged twice as much and tried to take over Hunter's digital life right when his digital life was being packed up. So that, that they gave me a non that, you know, we're not going to comment beyond what's in the indictment. But then I wrote back and I said, is there guidance from DOJ about the discovery standards that special counsels have to use when it's a continuation of an ongoing investigation? Like, what did Mueller do? What did um, Jack Smith do? And I said, is he going to be held to the same standard as the Mike Flynn follow on? where Mike Flynn got like completely unrelated texts about Peter Strzok. Uh, and right now it seems clear Weiss is trying to withhold stuff that's already public about malign influence on this investigation saying it has nothing to do with this gun charge. And it's like, dude, you know, like, and so I, so I asked, are, is he going to be held to the same standard as the Jack Smith prosecution. I mean, Jack Smith has given all the 302s involved in the investigation to Trump from the start. He has um, given a ton of stuff that he wouldn't otherwise have to give. He has given over uh, all of the January 6th transcripts. Well, Mm -hmm. if Jack Smith gave over all the January 6th transcripts, then what is your obligation to give over all the transcripts from Jim Jordan's investigation? What is your obligation to give over the transcripts from your interview with the House Judiciary Committee? This is David Weiss, where you said one... Leslie Wolf, the uh, U.S. attorney, the the assistant U.S. attorney that you replaced so that you could, you know, I call it sheep dipping the prosecution. You said she was competent. You said that she did everything. She did nothing wrong in this investigation. So you have no reason to replace her. uh, And yet by replacing her, you sheep dip the investigation. The other thing he said, um, these witnesses are being asked have you experienced threats? There was an FBI supervisor who, when asked that, or when asked if he had reviewed Gary Shapley's testimony, he said, yes, David Weiss and I sat down and talked about it and said it would affect the investigation. And it has affected the investigation because we're getting threats. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? And then when David Weiss was asked that same question, he responded and said, well, people shouldn't be intimidated. He offered up the word intimidated. And so right there, if you're Abby Lowell, you've got, you know, it's like the the U.S. attorney described intimidation, described these, this political pressure as intimidation. I don't know how you can dismiss that. I don't know how you can, and I don't know how you can, you know, keep that transcript from Hunter Biden. Right. So it's going to be the discovery fights on those are going to be, because I get it. Normally in a prosecution, if it's something like a simple gun charge, you can say, I only have to give you the evidence having to do with a simple gun charge. Like in, in the tax case, they've written out Tony Bobolinsky. right? Okay. Tony mm-hmm. Bobolinsky is the guy who was the guest of Donald Trump in the October debate in 2020 and oh. then went on to be handed something that could or that that Cassidy Hutchinson said Cassidy Hutchinson said could have been an envelope. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there's a part of the tax indictment where he's describing something that involves Tony Bobulinski, but he just doesn't mention Tony Bobulinski. And I'm like, do you really think that you're going to get away with not providing discovery on this? Um, and, and it's interesting because in that case, Tony Bobulinski, I think that, uh, so Tony Bobulinski, the day after the debate, goes into the FBI and says, I can place Joe Biden with the head of CEFC. I was at that Florida meeting. And he wasn't at that Florida meeting. <laughs> uh, and so some weeks ago, Abby Lowe was like, hey, say, are you guys ever going to charge this guy with false statements? Because he wasn't at that, that Florida meeting. And here's all the evidence he wasn't at that Florida meeting. Um, and, at the, and, and during that meeting, he's like, I don't want to give you all my phones. Can I give you only some of my phones? <laughs> and... Um, I'll give you this I mean, one, but you can't have that yeah, one. Yeah, right. Like, um, and oh, by the way, Hunter's business partner, Rob Walker, said, oh, yeah, when I was in Las Vegas with him early on, I met somebody who may or may not be uh, Vexelberg's son, the, the Russian oligarch. Uh -huh. And so, like, one of the reasons Hunter didn't want to have anything to do with this guy is because he had sordid bu Russian business ties. He's like, I don't want to have it, you know, like, I don't want to have anything to do with you. My, my Ukrainian friends are warning me off of you. And so, uh, Weiss just writes them out of the, t out of the, wow. um, out of the indictment. It's like, you know, I get that you want to say that, that Bobolinsky didn't affect this indictment, but he did. You know why? Because, Joseph Ziegler, the disgruntled IRS agent, already told us that he read and kept pressing to interview Tony Bobolinsky. He was influenced by the Bobolinsky transcript. And, um, you know, so it's it'll be interesting going forward. You know, one of my guilty pleasures is a soap opera. It's my escape from reality. It's something that's so absurd and ridiculous that uh, it's a, a total break. But this stuff, as you go through the names and the weird connections between Hunter Biden and Rudy Giuliani and Ukraine and Russia and uh, stolen elections and a coup attempt on the Capitol, it, it, it reads like a soap opera where... I expect people to come back from the dead because that's what they do. Um, so this week, Marcy Wheeler, we saw th this was the week that um, Hunter Biden had been subpoenaed to come to the Capitol. Now, did James Comer agree to what uh, Hunter Biden said he would do, which is testify at a public hearing? And then when he said he would do it, they pulled that offer away and said, no, you have to testify before closed doors first. And that's why... He showed up and, and made a statement to the press um, and then left. I, I think it was the first time I ever heard Hunter Biden speak. Yeah, it was pretty wild, right? Yeah. Um, the, um, here's the thing is, here's the crazy thing. I did a post on this and I was quite proud of it because I did it the morning of this. And I'm like, here's what might go down, right? And here's what might go down having read all of this. Like the press corps, the DC press corps just hasn't, given a flying fuck about what's in these court filings and they're actually quite interesting. And I said, and this is what is being missed in the motions to dismiss. So Abby Lowell back in October says, can I have, can I extend the deadline for motions to dismiss? Judge says, okay. So back in October, it is decided that he's going to submit his motions to dismiss the Hunter Biden case on Monday. That was decided in October. In November is when James Comer decides to subpoena Hunter Biden. And both before and after, you're right, he got on Newsmax because that's the only media channel he can go on without collapsing, right? right, right. He can't even go on Fox anymore because no. of Ducey. Right. But anyway, he goes on Newsmax and he's like, yeah, yeah you know, he can, he can come and do it publicly or privately. Hunter's like, yeah, publicly. And so there was a back and forth and there is what is called accommodation. And there has been, I mean, um, Abby Lola has been offering a, a cooperation back to February. So if it ever were to be referred to prosecutors, they're going to be like, well, you didn't take any accommodation before you went straight to subpoena. Um, but then, then on Tuesday night, the New York state top court, I get the name of it wrong every time I try, um, I think it's superior. It's not supreme. Uh, supreme not is the lowest level. Oh, okay. So, oh, I, yeah, New York just names their courts backwards. Wrong. <laughs> um, so I never try it because I get it wrong. Anyway, their top court said, "Okay, we're going to do redo redistricting," and so uh, um, 
Quote Politico said this is five GOP seats plus the Santos seat right. after the you know after the special election. So five Republicans stand to lose their seat with this redistricting. And I was like, you know, you'd think that these people might think twice about voting for impeachment. Um, and so Hunter Biden is due to come at nine thirty, and that day, like I don't know, four o'clock that day. But afterwards is when they vote to make this an impeachment inquiry. Right. And in the weeks, and the reason they had to do that is because there is a Bill Barr era OLC opinion that says you cannot subpoena somebody for impeachment unless you've gotten a vote of the House. Oh. And so... And, and in fact, Paul Sperry, who's this kind of right wing nut job, like he's he's a total propagandist, but occasionally he's the only one telling the truth. And yesterday he said, oh, now that they voted for impeachment, Jim Jordan is going to subpoena Hunter Biden right away so that then they can hold him in contempt. I'm like, there's your admission that they couldn't hold him in contempt right now because they had not yet had the vote that they didn't uh. schedule. And this was <laughs> dumbass Speaker Mike who did this. Like they did, that decision was the last decision. That was the only decision that was, you know, at all, like they could have, they could have had the vote on Tuesday night and then it still would have been a problem. I mean, the, the subpoena sent to Hunter Biden was improper under impeachment rules in any case. But um, so, you know, they're making this big stink about contempt, but it's like- yes. Uh, if you complain that somebody doesn't show up for a subpoena and then hours later hold a vote so that you can send out valid subpoenas. Right. You know, these people are so dumb. I mean, so anyway, uh, but, but what the entire press corps and this really, this really, it drives me insane because I don't understand like, they, you know, they will chase anything that has to do with impeachment, but they won't, you know, they, they were like, you know, back when he got indicted, they're like, oh, goody, you know, we got a trial of Hunter Biden. We're so excited. But like, read the fucking filings, people, because in the motions to dismiss that that Abby Lowell submitted on Monday, um, one was, as we expected him saying, you can't indict him. We had a contract. You said it was a contract mm -hmm. and the contract was a deferral and you've just blown up the contract because you've done X, Y, and Z. So, and that's, that's actually probably the strongest argument that says these indictments are invalid on their face because, because David Weiss made Hunter Biden a promise that this deferral for the gun charge was a contract. Right. Like, you right. will not be charged for this conduct any longer. So that's one thing. One is this, I think it's crappy, but one is this, well, uh, um, David Weiss was unlawfully appointed as a special counsel. I, I hate that. But another one is this gun charge is unconstitutional. The Fifth Circuit has found it unconstitutional. How can you charge me under something that may be unconstitutional? So those two are sort of meant to hold this thing up in appeals, even if he is found guilty, I think. But then the, the last one is this 69-page motion to dismiss for vindictive, selective, and uh, separation of powers, right? So every, I, you know, Katie Turr had this ridiculous appearance with Abby Lowell and she's like, well, you know, you're never going to make selective prosecution. And, and I'm sitting there, well, what about vindictive, Katie Turr? Because vindictive is all over this thing. Vindictive prosecution is when you give up a right, like giving up a right to, uh, you, you, you assert a right, like Hunter Biden did to plead not guilty to the tax charges. Um, and the prosecutor uh, retaliates against you in some way mm -hmm. and retaliates to you by, by, say, ratcheting up your gun exposure from what might have been what, you know, originally is nothing to 10 years to 25 years and ratcheting up your exposure on taxes to 17 years. That's retaliation. And. So those are what we expected, but what is actually very interesting, and this is why people should read the um, filing, and I, I'm going to go back and rewrite something on this because the, the technicalities of it are, are worth noting. Okay. But the argument is um, Congress usurped the power of David Weiss in dictating to him that he must charge Hunter Biden. Interesting. And yeah. it's actually a great argument because, first of all, they've already... 
ruined any chance he has to get fair due process because they've already released all the case files. They've been making claims that are completely unsubstantiated by the evidence for, for months. They keep fabricating things. They keep literally fabricating evidence. Um, but they also, I mean, you know, and this is goes full circle after Jim Jordan started, started ratcheting this up. And the same thing happened with Fonnie Willis. Like Jim Jordan said, I'm going after Fonnie Willis. And that night she got a lynching threat. Oh right? gosh. Right. Um, and so the same happened with David Weiss and his prosecutors. Jim Jordan said, I'm going after them. And particularly uh, Leslie Wolf, who testified yesterday, although I haven't seen any report on that. Uh, she started getting serious threats immediately because because the IRS disgruntled agents, uh, you know, said she was the bad guy. I'm like, she's not the bad guy. She was trying to protect this case. And you guys just screwed it up, you morons. But um so, you know, if, like, if Abby Lowell gets the judge to hold a hearing, this is a, this is a sound argument. You know, like, uh, what he didn't do, which I think he should have, was cite the, the D.C. Circuit opinion saying when Trump makes threats, as he did against David Weiss, when mm -hmm. Trump makes threats, it immediately leads to this violence, right? And right. he knows it, and he does it deliberately. Uh, and... Um, and so when David Weiss didn't charge Hunter Biden with felonies, immediately that campaign started targeting him, targeting his AUSA, and he responded by reopening the investigation and charging Hunter Biden with all these felonies. So it's a really interesting argument. It's not one I expected in that form, but the, the substance of, I mean, there's a bunch that you did expect and that, again, Abby Lowell knows he can prove it. It's just a matter of allowing the judge to give him the chance to prove it. Right. That, you know, uh, Donald Trump has interfered improperly in this investigation since day one. And there's, there's nothing even, you know, had Jim Comey or Peter Strzok ever been charged with a crime or Hillary Clinton, it would have been the equivalent. But there's nothing equivalent to the degree to which Donald Trump has interfered and Bill Barr interfered right. in this case. And the notion that somebody wouldn't be able to open that up and say, you can't prosecute me. Like, even if I even if you're right on the tax charges and I don't think you're right on the tax charges. And oh, by the way, you got August 14 wrong. It's August 13. <laughs> and you didn't check whether the sex workers are the ones putting through the charges. Mm -hmm. But, you know, even if you did those tax crimes, which in L.A., Abby Lowell will also argue was selective prosecution because, the, you know, in, in that the, those would not be charged normally either. Um, you still have Donald Trump doing everything he can to make sure there's there's an indictment. And at some point, you can't have the president of the United States demanding felony indictments uh, and getting Right. So it all comes down to that, basically. And, and, and they now, does this go back to, there's so much overlap between these different cases, to the, um, we now found out this week with, from Jack Smith, a, a little more insight into, I guess, his uh, judicial uh, road trip or his map, what he's going to do. Um, we learned a few things. One is that they have access to the Trump's phones inside the White House on January 6th. Um, but we didn't know this before about what what data was available. I guess they cracked the phone. What? No, I mean, it was it was implied, okay. you know, like I had Remember when it was disclosed that Jack Smith got a warrant for Trump's Twitter account? Yes. And, and everyone was like, oh, they're going to get his DMs. They're going to get his DMs. I'm right. like, that's not what they're after. Uh -huh. They're after his metadata. They have to prove, based on the indictment, there, particularly that um, 224 tweet targeting Mike Pence. Yes. They have to prove that he had the murder weapon in his hand. And okay. that was Twitter and that I, was saying, go yeah, get Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. say this. It was Donald Trump at the dining room table <laughs> with the Twitter account. And it's literally, that is the Agatha Christ, that is the clue answer yes. for this indictment. And that tweet and also this December 19th tweet that really set off the riot 
those two, you have to prove what role Donald Trump had. And so I knew when they went to the Twitter account, like that's what they need. They need to know who else had access to that Twitter account. They need to know the IP or the device addresses for all of the devices that could have sent those tweets. They have to know whether, for example, somebody in the Willard grafted that tweet for Donald Trump, which is, by the way, not not impossible, right? Uh Uh, They have to know that if you look at the indictment, it alleges that Donald Trump was sitting there on the dining room table alone when he sent that 224 tweet. Mm. And this is why, and so from that point, it was clear to me that they would need the phone and they would need the Twitter account because you need to, you need, you need to prove that the murder weapon was in Donald Trump's hand. And so that's, that's why they are using the phone. They are, um, they're going to be able to show what, what kind of, um, they're going to be able to show, for example, what, images from the riot Trump was looking at on that phone. They're going to be able to show, yeah, I mean, so they're going to be able to show that he was watching, say, CNN and saw people break in Mm -hmm. and saw saw coverage of, of Pence being evacuated or saw coverage of the, you know. So that's the kind of thing they're going to get from the phone. Right. And also, um, and this ties in somewhere, that Trump directly asked Bill Barr, DOJ, to go after Hunter Biden to prosecute a a private citizen, which a president can't do, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, he did that a bunch of times. Actually, and this is even more interesting. I mean, a a president explicitly cannot ask the IRS to investigate somebody for a tax investigation. And I don't see how David Weiss avoids having to deal with that in California because you can see that Donald Trump was involved in X, Y, and Z place. Like he, he gave orders to people who were giving orders to David Weiss. Uh, He gave evidence through Tony Bobolinsky, false evidence that made it to the chief IRS agent on the case. So you can't say that Trump didn't have a very direct effect on the case. Um, even ignoring the threats he made from his Twitter account. But, uh, and, and then Marcy Wheeler, this brings us to, I guess, <laughs> the proverbial elephant in the room, which is how the week began with um, Jack Smith saying, we're going to leapfrog the appeals courts, the D.C. Circuit Court, go directly to the Supreme Court and ask them in, in, in the interest of time, I guess, to skip these steps, because it will wind up at the Supreme Court, ask them for cert on Trump's claim of absolute immunity. And and so the, the, the court said, yes, we will take it up. Trump has until Wednesday of next week to answer to 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 answer this filing. I'm sure I'm using the wrong terminology. So, yeah, to clarify, uh, they are going to consider accelerated review. Okay. Trump's response on Wednesday is his argument that they shouldn't allow Jack Smith to leapfrog. Okay. So it's not yet clear that the Supreme Court is going to hold this review really quickly. Although the DC circuit is moving really quickly. They, um, you know, Trump, uh, what an asshole, man. Uh, Trump, DC circuit, uh, Jack Smith also goes to the DC circuit says, can we do this quickly? DC circuit says, says, okay, Trump, what do you think? And Trump's like, oh, wow, we can't do it quickly because that'll mean we have to work over Christmas. Christmas, And I immediately, uh, I was like, yeah, well, you didn't have a problem working over Christmas in in December, 2020. You're happy to work through Christmas when a coup is on the, in the making. That's right. Um, You just don't want to work through Christmas when, when having to defend your claim to be above the law is in the making. Anyway, so Trump has to file there on the 23rd. So it is moving quickly in any case. Um, but it's still, you know, we're still holding our breath to see whether that March 3rd trial, how much it gets bumped back. It could get bumped back just a month or, um, and by then Trump will already have the nomination sealed yeah. up. Oh God. Um, but this- the, the other thing that happened, and this is at least as important, it is as important is that the, um, Supreme Court is, is taking one of the, uh, it, the 1512 or obstruction cases, like 300 January 6ers have been prosecuted under uh, for obstruction. Mm-hmm. And Trump is charged with two counts of obstruction. And 
it's unclear exactly what they want to review about this appeal, but uh, they've taken it up. And I would be unsurprised if by the time this this podcast is on the air that Jack Smith says, can you accelerate this? And they don't even have to involve Trump in that, that like there are people in jail right now saying, please release me because the Supreme court is reviewing this. Um, and, but that should like, you know, Jack Smith should ask for that to be reviewed quickly because then there will be one way or another more certainty, um, on those charges against Trump. Okay, but meanwhile, this um, with with the Jack Smith with the Supreme Court saying, okay, Trump, you need to answer this filing by next Wednesday. Um, Judge Chutkin stayed all discovery, so every we, what we talked about last week, basically everything is at a standstill until we know how it's going to progress. Yes, it's at a standstill until the decision on Trump's immunity is decided. Wow. All right, so so, th- so there's a lot at stake here. I mean, this could go either way. Yeah, I mean, Trump's immunity claims are really frivolous. Uh, I, you know, I just, uh, if you go back, and I, you know, I really, I, I'm, I did a post on this, and I'll, I'll send you the link so you can post it, but like, um, when, remember when the January 6th committee wanted documents from Trump mm-hmm. and Trump uh, claimed executive privilege over it mm-hmm. and sued NARA to prevent NARA from giving those documents to the January 6th committee. Well, guess who heard that challenge? Tanya Chitkin. Oh, of course. Yes. And so she wrote an opinion saying, you know, in any case, uh, the incumbent has said, I mean, she wrote a very moderate opinion Um and and this that case was was more edge than whether or not the president can be prosecuted for crimes for for stuff he did you know while he was still president. In other words, like this was just can Congress get to your documents to review what you did? And with the exception of Clarence Thomas, the Supreme Court upheld the DC circuit opinion upholding Chutkin's opinion. So in other okay. words, uh, Chutkin and the D.C. Circuit, the D.C. Circuit especially said, this is a really important issue. Like there was a, there was an insurrection. We have to understand the insurrection. And uh, Kavanaugh in accepting, in, in upholding that opinion, basically, and in, in saying we're not going to review this, he basically said, yeah, we agree that this is so important that we don't have to get into whether in a different situation a former president could invoke executive privilege over his files because in this case it is so urgent. And if you believe that's urgent, then you sort of, I think, have to believe that a president can be prosecuted for those crimes. Supreme Court has already weighed in on that. Um, And we'll see whether that's true. Right. Uh, now, I'm, now, I'm, I'm at least as worried about the obstruction case as I am about absolute immunity. Absolute immunity, the important thing is timeliness. The obstruction case is important because um, it should apply to Trump no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they are definitely deciding is whether there needs to be document destruction for to be charged with obstruction under this. Um, if they throw out the other 300 cases, Trump or Trump has a document tampering side to his obstruction, right? Because he he had the fake electors submit fake forged certificates. So that's document, that is document tampering. Um, so he still should be able to be charged with it one way or another, but those other defendants might not. The other question is how you define corruptly, right? So the, the I, you know, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but like either corruptly is, there's corruptly could be one of three things, corruptly sort of mamby-pamby, morally wrong. Corruptly, uh, as it was first defined in the January 6th cases, if you are obstructing a proceeding and breaking the law while you're doing it, Mm-hmm. then that gets you to corruptly already. Um, and then Greg Katsas, who worked in Trump's White House, wants it to be instead, if you have, if you will personally profit from this. Okay. Well, guess what? You know, I can't think of more personal profit to obstruct the certification of your opponent's victory right. than to, to, to remain president. And so, like, it should still apply to Trump in any case, but it's just... The, that charge is what Jack Smith right now is hanging the mob on. Okay. In other words, the mob was an instrument of his obstruction. 
Gotcha. And now, this show is- in a cool way. I have a post this morning. Um, they, the same piece where, uh, uh-oh. What? Oh, I'm, you're looking like there's some breaking news. Oh, no, 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 no. I was, ju- I was looking at your, at your website, looking at mtwill.net, uh, looking for what you found. Uh, so that the same filing that said they've got Trump's phone mm-hmm. also said, oh, we're going to get an expert to show how the rioters, how the, how the people who ended up at the Capitol went from the ellipse. Right. And I saw that and I'm like, we've seen that already in a bunch of trials. Like somebody at a bunch of these January 6th trials has shown not the movement from the Capitol per se, but they've shown the movement as one after another breach of the Capitol. So we've already seen this and mm-hmm. they've done this with, um, with video, but also with uh, the, the data showing their location. So is that the Google geofence stuff you're talking yes, about? Yes, right. what they are doing at Donald Trump's trial is they are gonna show of the people who eventually showed up in, not just inside the Capitol, but around the, what they called restricted area of the Capitol. Mm-hmm. I have a picture on that post on my site. Mm-hmm. Um, those people, everyone who was in that restricted area, was trespassing. And so what they are going to do is they are going to show that 30,000 of those people came from the ellipse. Mm-hmm. 30,000 of those people listened to Trump say, go to the Capitol and did what he told them. Right. That's what they plan to show. And they are using it, what's called a Google geofence. And um, this is te- the technical side of it is if you choose to use Google's location service, so if you choose to, I don't know why you do this, but if you choose to let Google uh, keep track, track of your movements, where you spend your money and <laughs> right. where you move around regularly, I mean, don't do this. Turn this off if you have it on, everyone, right now, right. today. But um, if you do that, then you're voluntarily sharing data. Right. And by voluntarily sharing the data, it means that um, the government can use a warrant to get that data. So uh, two different times that we know of, you can read that post, once in January and once in May of 2021, they're like, okay, tell us which phones were inside the Capitol. Oh. They said that in January 2021. And then they said, now tell us which phones were inside that restricted space. And then probably, you know, sometime after that, they said, okay, tell us which of these phones that were in that restricted space that in the, in the warrant we got on May 2021, tell us which of those phones were at the ellipse listening to oh. Donald Trump. And then when? When he told them to go. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be brilliant, actually. But uh, so DOJ, Jack Smith announced that they were going to do that Tuesday. Uh-huh. And yesterday Google said, oh, by the way, we're going to change how we do location services so people can't get warrants for this anymore. Wow. So it's, but, it's but actually, it's already I mean, a done deal. That that's, hmm? But it's already a done deal. The government already has that data. It's a so. done deal. They already have the warrant. Um, you know, Donald Trump can challenge the warrant. Uh, in one of the cases that I linked to in, in that post, there is a guy who's already been convicted of um, both, I mean, he's sort of interesting. So he was not identified until they got the second geofence. Is this or, Fisher? No. Is this and, this guy Fisher? Nope. Oh, no, this guy's name else. is Easterday. Okay. Um, so, so he kept changing his appearance over the course of the day, which made him hard to track. So in other words, like he started the day with a Confederate flag in his hand, then he lost the flag, then he took off his hat. And just that just makes it harder, even for the sedition hunters, it makes it harder to identify where one person is and also then to, you know, find that guy's Facebook page and and match him. So they actually, that investigation into that guy started from the the Google fence. They started from this guy's phone and he actually entered the Capitol and he wasn't found in the first batch of the geofence. He was only found when they broadened the geofence to look just outside the Capitol. But he spent 20 minutes outside the east door of the Capitol spraying tops to be able to break in. Oh, God. So Donald Trump is making this argument that only the people who went in the Capitol could be called insurrectionists. Um, when, in fact, a great number of the people who went inside the Capitol were really just MAGA tourists, right? Uh-huh. They really were just people who were like, wow, let me go look at that, the, you know, at the hallway. Um, whereas some of the most 
violent fights happened either in the tunnel that uh, that Joe Biden walked out to get right. inaugurated, right. or they happened out just outside. Like so, the fight to get inside the east door of the Capitol was this fight to open up a second front of the attack of the siege, basically, of the Capitol. So this guy, Easterday, was part of that. He, he used bear spray or something against cops, then broke in and then wandered around peacefully in the Capitol. He didn't get picked up on the Google fence inside the Capitol. He got picked up standing there outside the east door fighting with cops. Um, so he's challenging it. And the chief judge of the D.C. district right now, Jeb Boesberg, is going to write an opinion on that. And so when Trump, when and if Trump challenges the Google, the use of the geofence to track the effect that his order to go march to the Capitol had, there will already be two opinions on the underlying Google geofences by then. Wow, okay. Um, and it will already be, like, one guy is appealing, uh, he was just a trespasser, um, he's appealing the use of the geofence with him in the D.C. Circuit now. His That appeal starts in February, so. Oh, boy. Uh, it, it's, it's ongoing. There's stuff happening, there's challenges, it's going all the way to the Supreme Court in some instances. Um, we know that uh, Tanya Chutkin's case which it was is, is supposed to be starting jury selection like now um that's sort of on hold waiting for the supreme court uh the, we, are we expecting the judge to rule we, we know we're expecting the the rudy giuliani jury to come back with damages is it a jury thing where the jury is uh deciding yeah, damages hrs okay and then in new york where the judge was going to rule on the the Trump uh, businesses, right? That's we're just waiting on that. The trial is over, isn't it? Trial is over, but the closing arguments are not until next month. Oh, oh. So, okay. Closing arguments next month. Uh, where some action is happening, which is quite interesting, is in the states. Like more states are now going after their fake electors. Uh huh. Um, so in, like in Nevada, they charged the head of the GOP. Right. Um, in, in Michigan, those fake electors that all 16 were charged in Michigan and one flipped. Yes. Uh, so they're having their kind of pretrial to make sure that the charges will hold up. And it's actually really interesting. I mean, like, um, yesterday, the former secretary of state, Terry Lynn Lamb, she had been slotted to be a fake elector, an elector, mm-hmm. a true elector. Right. And lawyers called her up and said, we need you to show up at the Capitol. And she was like, you have Donald Trump's lawyers call me up. And she's like, I mean, I don't love her. She is from the Grand Rapids area. So I actually rented an apartment from her for seven months, I oh, think, wow. from her, from her, not from her personally. She's a corporation, right? right. Um, from land, land, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but... And she's got ties to the DeVos family, which probably made her, you know, like by that point, the DeVoses were like, I don't want to have anything to do with Donald Trump. But she didn't show up. So she testified yesterday about, you know, how she was smart enough not to show up. They have a video. Uh, the Detroit, Detroit Free Press is doing some really good coverage of this. People should check it out um, of how these fake electors show because 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 what Trump did is uh, Kenneth Chisborough, who sort of claims to have flipped and he's going around to all the states trying to help them, including uh, Wisconsin, where he's originally from. Right. Uh, he, um, he researched what it took to be a fake elect, to be a real elector in each state. And he said, here's the rules that we have to try and abide by. And so like in Nevada, they had to get the secretary of state involved and she had already said no way. So they knew that they were going to break the law in that case. In Michigan, you have to do this. You have to ascertain the certificates in the, in the, um, in the house, in the, in the Capitol, in the Capitol building. And so the fake electors went to the Capitol on that, on uh, December 4th, I think it is. And they tried to get in. And there was this guard standing by himself saying, no, you're not permitted in. Well, were the electors? No, the electors are already in the Capitol. You can't come in. Right. And it's, it's, it's really remarkable. Um, and, and, you know, and these, and, you know, there's a lawyer there. He's like, well, they're the duly elected. No, they can't come in. We've already got the electors. And that guy, you know, like there's moments of heroism throughout this story. And it's like, that's this case where that guy was like, you can't come in the Capitol. 
You just cannot uh, come in the Capitol because they weren't in the Capitol when they ascertain their certificates. The certificates are illegal. And that's the basis on which that is part of the basis on which they are being prosecuted right now. Wow. So that's moving. Um, Georgia, you know, she's moving closer like that case. But um, these cases are getting interesting on the state level. And really, um, you need to have accountability at the state level as well, because those are those are the you know those are the people who thought that they were above the law right right those people aren't going to be if if the michigan fake electors are prosecuted in michigan trump can't pardon them right no at the state level he can't pardon anybody right not at the states yeah right so uh, I guess we just have to wait for it all to play out and follow along at emptywheel.net because uh, you're, you're covering this like no one else. Um, any, uh, this was a crazy week. We, there's stuff we didn't even get to, but um, anything glaring at you that, that we didn't address that we, that we need to talk about? No, I mean, I think that uh, things will quiet down a little because of Christmas, but you're going to see these appellate courts move. That's, I think, the the thing that we're definitely going to be looking for uh, over the next couple of weeks. Right. And um, see, but you know, the House has gone home. The big question is whether they fund Ukraine or not. Um, Russia is doing a very good job at trying to starve Ukraine over the winter. So Mm -hmm. we'll see. Right. And, And the House is gone. The Senate is still there and they could conceivably do something next week. But I don't expect the House to come back to to approve anything. Do you? It's unlikely. I think, um, you know, uh, I think Biden gave Ukraine enough money to get to keep the funds going until the House does come back. But there's such crazy people like, um, you know, who knows? Who knows? Who Who knows knows what's going to happen? These are crazy people. But I honestly think and this is my prediction, like and this is why it infuriates me that D.C. journalists are not reading like they're not reading what's actually coming into the impeachment inquiry. Mm-hmm. So for example, I mean, I keep talking about this. They, the Scott Brady uh, transcript, which I got to peek at, is one of the most damning things I've ever seen in covering DC stuff. Because it literally described uh, this scheme that Bill Barr set up where you're going to like review the stuff that Rudy got from his Russian spy and without vetting, I mean, he's like, well, I was vetting it. And, and then they ask him, like, what did you do to vet? He's like, well, I didn't actually vet the content. I sort of made sure, you know, it's, it's right. crazy stuff. Right. Um, you know, no one, you know, no one is looking at that closely. They're not. Chuck Grassley said, and I, you know, Chuck Grassley said that that Barr shut down a Bur- or that the DOJ shut down a Burisma investigation in the middle of Ukraine impeachment. Like right. that should be the only thing we talk about. Right. And like, you know, Washington Post said, well, this is the this is it's all about Ukraine. I'm like, how do you report that without reporting that Chuck Grassley has said on the record that while this was happening, well, you know, like they are claiming that Joe Biden was corrupt in 2016 for shutting down a Burisma investigation, which is false. Right. But they are ignoring that in 2019, in the middle of an impeachment over Burisma, DOJ shut down an investigation into the head of Burisma. Like, how is that not the, the top of the news? Right. Well, the, 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 again, it's the, it's the, I think the problem is, well, it's many fold, but one of the big problems is there's so much shit. And this is Trump's MO, throw so much shit at the wall and see what sticks. There's no way uh, one entity can certainly cover all of it. So you got to you got to find it where you can get it. And again, you know, I direct people. And to, that's to why, that. I mean, I'm going to change, go back to my doppelganger idea because yep. I, you know, I'm quite chuffed with it. I think it's a good <laughs> it way. It's a good framework because, you know, to, the notion that we treat Hunter Biden worse than we treat Rudy Giuliani is just obscene. It is. And, you know, th- that's the thing is that editors are telling reporters go out and report on Hunter Biden, the villain. Right. And if you look at the filings, if you look at like, you know, if you like Hunter Biden, Twice this week said, without any caveats, he said, the data being used here was stolen from me. Right. 
Right. He said that the data Congress is using was stolen, was stolen. from him. Yep. And I don't know. Look, I have a pretty good idea of what their theories of hacking, you know, like I've talked about this, like if you got to the phone that was encrypted on his laptop, then that's probably unless you're the FBI because um, they got into it. But they had to get a password to get into it. If you know, if you got into that phone, that is hacking. That is that is yes. unlawful access of the phone. And a ton of people did that. So, uh, you know, that that is really should be big news. Somebody stole data from Hunter Biden That's and right. it's being used in an impeachment investigation. And I'm like, no, you know, don't you guys care about this? This seems newsworthy. But because Hunter Biden has been written as the villain by a bunch of editors, they're not reporting on far more newsworthy and far more scandalous stuff. It's crazy. That's- it's opposite world. Uh, Marcy Wheeler, thank goodness, emptywheel.net is there. You you do the work uh, and it is open. There's no paywall there. So get your news, read up, and then support the work that they're doing over there because it is invaluable. Uh, we got one more week before Christmas. I'm going to take off the week between Christmas and New Year's, but are we good for next Friday? Yeah, I have no plans. Cool. I'm going to be, I'm going to be walking. I, um, the doctor cleared me to start walking. So this is my aspiration for the next week is to learn to walk again. Very cool. Well, maybe we'll see you um, in a different location. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll move back into my office. Works for me. Marcy Wheeler, thank you as always. Um, Great stuff. And uh, and I, I can't thank you enough. All right. Take care. There you go, Marcy Wheeler, um, uh, and and uh, always just filled with information. Of course, I'm coming in at the end, as I did in the beginning, to say since we taped that this morning, the breaking news, uh, Shay Moss and Ruby Freeman were awarded uh, like quadruple what they asked for. I mean, not that's not exact, but uh, $148 million in damages and um and uh, defamation and punitive, de- uh, just, it's great. Now, Rudy, of course, will somehow try not to pay it. Um, I say liquidate everything he's got and give those women every cent and let Rudy go, you know, sleep in a spare room at Mar-a-Lago or something. All right, that does it for the week. Monday, Lisa Graves will be here. If you don't know Lisa Graves, Tune in Monday and meet her. She is she does amazing work. Right now, she is the founder and executive director of True North Research. Um, before that, she was at the Center for Media and Democracy, and they're the people that brought us uh, Alec Exposed and um, told us all about the Koch brothers uh, at um, uh, at uh, True North Research. Among other things, she's exposing Leonard Leo and his group of dark money monsters. Um, but, but the reason that she comes on as sort of our legal expert, not sort of our legal expert here is, um, during the, uh, under the George W. Bush administration and the Clinton administration, I guess she was there under Clinton first. She worked in the justice department. She was a deputy assistant attorney general under Janet Reno, and then in the Clinton administration, and then in the W administration under um, John Ashcroft. Yeah, so that. Um, and, and she's she's served as a counsel for the Senate Judiciary Committee on nominations. I mean, she knows her way around the law and around legislation. And, uh, and plus, she's just one of those great people. You know, so um, uh, just a really good person. So Lisa Graves will be here Monday. We'll talk about what, you know, what they are charged with doing the Supreme Court um, for, you know, taking this case under Jack Smith. Again, she'll talk in legalese, a language I don't know. And um, we'll also talk about the Supreme Court saying that this term, they will take up the question of the abortion drug mifeprestone. So a lot to talk with Lisa about on Monday. In the meantime, it's the weekend. Have a great one. Uh, Thank you, as always, for listening. And um, yeah, Uh, I'll see you Monday. Peace out, everyone.